Hello and welcome to Campfire Conversations, stories from the center of the universe, where we bring the stories from our campfire to your ears, wherever you are in the world. Here we chat to friends over a favorite drink, enjoy the crackle of the fire, and let the real stories of life in the bush be told. Let's get talking to some bushveld legends and hear about their finest hours, the moments that made them question it all and what keeps them coming back for more. Tonight we are real men and all three of us are drinking Castle Light. Yeah. Who would have guessed it? <laughs> Should have brought the black label. <laughs> Cameraman isn't in black label, we must put him on camera. Let me introduce our very, very special guest tonight, Dr. Joel Alves. I grew up watching David Attenborough, John Barty, and the Joubert's documentaries. My first what do you want to be when you grow up choice was a game ranger. Then sport got in the way. Then a bit of traveling, and next thing I knew, after a gap year backpacking in Europe, I was studying sports science at the University of Pretoria. From there followed what can only be described as a series of very fortunate events and uncanny moments that brought me to where I am today. Sometimes I still reminisce and think how the heck did I get here. He is a young, energetic and passionate wildlife vet veterinarian who aspires to learn and grow from every experience he encounters. He not only aims to go beyond just being a vet, but he also aims to make a positive contribution and difference in the world of conservation. My second name is Mnandi, which has a whole range of translations from sweet to being the Zulu word for nice and tasty. I quote here, elephant down came the raspy bark over the vehicle radio and the crew leapt into action as we all converged on the fallen behemoth. In the dust storm kicked up by the hovering helicopter, wildlife vet Dr. Joel Alves jumped from the helicopter skids like Tom Cruise, a free fall of some three meters I kid you not, the man who shot the dart from the helicopter was first on the scene, all in a day's work. He's a hunk. He's a chunk. He's like Spider-Man on the touch rugby field. And I once saw him catch a ball which was moving faster than a missile on an action cricket court. The conservation vet, Dr. Joel Alves. Who do you have here, man? I don't think I'm going to say anything. I can't live up to any of that. <laughs> who wrote that? Number one, you're hard to lock down. No, thanks a lot, Holly. It's good to see you, man. You too. We also, in our conversation tonight, have Mr. Mike Grover, former Skakusa Cricket Club captain, networker, ecologist, grazing expert, repeat guest on Campfire Conversations, friend and human wildlife conflict expert. Joel, let's get into it, man. Um, you are an inspiration, actually, to all of us, um, and your passion for conservation is interesting. Your job is the job I dreamed of, and I am living the dream, but it, you know, it is a dream job for boys, girls growing up all over the world. Tell us, I know it's not as glamorous as it, thing, as it sounds, but I mean, tell us about some of the cool stuff that you do and get up to. Yeah, geez, I mean, it's <laughs> first of all, definitely not as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> it's like everything you read, there's about 5% of our life and the other 95 is driving around like a headless chicken or on the phone or emails or whatever it is to organize all the cool stuff. Yeah. 
But definitely in an incredibly privileged and fortunate position. And I mean, much as what I said there, sometimes I do wonder how I ended up here. And, you know, now looking back, is I can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, yeah, we get to work with um, amazing species, obviously. But I think a bigger thing for me is the people we get to work with through everything that we do. I mean, amazing organizations doing incredible conservation work. And I think a lot of the time what we get to do is the glamorous aspect right at like the pinnacle of everything that's been going on. Whereas behind the scenes, often there's unsung heroes that never get mentioned in all of it. So it's actually <laughs> the vets get to take the glory sometimes, whereas there's so many incredible conservationists doing amazing work behind the scenes and making everything happen and, and come to light. You know, years of preparation and then you come around, dart the rhino, put it in a crate, take it to Malawi. And oh, so like you just, you know, saved the rhino, <laughs> the black rhino in Malawi. So, I got you. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I think for me, it's, it's more the, the people, the passionate people. It's a very small world, the conservation world. And you find that, I mean, it's a very small circle. It's, it's tiny. And um, yeah, I mean, we're very lucky to work in a number of places around the, around the world, not just the continent. Okay, so and tell yeah. me, I'm going to jump in, man. Yeah. Uh, and you're very humble. But it's okay, so tell me about the Congo and the elephants. Going, going up there to do some work. Yeah, I'm glad I'm here to talk to you. I <laughs> came back from that. <laughs> that was a lot wilder than I'd ever anticipated. Yeah, yeah. no, geez, that. The Congo so, was wilder than you anticipated. Uh, yeah. Jesus, it must have been wild. I, I didn't really do much reading or anything like that beforehand. <laughs> For a good reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, no, that was, I mean, that's a, that's a career highlight of mine big time to, to work with a species that not many people get to work with. I mean, forest elephants and in a place that was just absolutely mind-bogglingly amazing. But, you know, I was very unprepared for it. I'd only chatted to, I mean, um, most people know Pete Morkel, and he's pretty much the veterinarian that's pioneered the work on forest elephants. And besides him, there's not many people that have gotten to work with them. So, you know, spending time on the phone to legends like him and Dave Cooper before going and saying, you know, what's it all about? They're like, well, just don't get squashed. And that's like the only information you get. And then you're like, okay, cool, you know, well, let's go over there and find out what it's about. And it's literally don't get squashed. And the, so, no, it was epic. I mean, w you get dropped off in the middle of a place that's the size of Kruger, but there's no roads. You camp out there for two weeks. We had pygmy trackers following tracks sort of every day. I only saw five forest elephants in two weeks. It was phenomenal. It truly, truly was an incredible experience. An yeah. adventure of a lifetime, for sure. No, that is. That is incredible. Um, some, another story that caught... I mean, you've been involved in loads of things. Uh, another one that caught my eye, I don't know if this is going to ring a bell. I haven't discussed this with you. Is I found an article on the internet about a, a, a blind elephant in the Umbabat. Does this ring a bell? Yeah. I, so, I mean, just in turn... I mean, that, that's crazy. I've, yeah, okay, I'll... You tell us about it. So I wasn't there for the beginnings. That was my colleague, Dr. Ben Miller. That was, they sort of got specialists out from Unistapur to come and take a look and see how bad it was. And I'll stand to be corrected on the percentage of vision that he still had, but it's, it's minimal. And um, what had happened when I sort of got involved in that case was about a year later, he got a, a tusk sort of right next to the butthole yes. for a better <laughs> PG explanation. And um, it got seriously infected and he, he lost a lot of condition. We tried to treat him about two, three times. Um, you know, it was a very easy case to deal with because of the fact that he was blind, you could pretty much walk up to him and, and pulse syringe him if you wanted to. But it, it, he had a, a tear in his rectum into that wound and we thought this is never going to recover. And there was actually a lot of discussion about whether or not it's more humane to just euthanize him before he dies a horrible death. Yeah. And somehow, like wildlife does, he just made the most 
incredible recovery and and turnaround and somehow i still don't know to this day how that wound closed up but um you know he turned around and it's a fascinating case he cruises around it's amazing when he's still alive yeah he's still alive and like when he when he's sort of getting chased by the chopper or the planes and that very often his ascaris will come and sort of like sit next to him and sort of guide him in in essence we've seen that a bit from the air yeah so he's like those who are obviously ascaris other bull elephants who hang out with each other that is incredible no very cool case yeah so no he's still fun still cruising around i mean obviously they're usually trunk and smell and what but you don't see any obvious no nothing i mean if you if you saw him in the bush you'd be surprised if uh he wasn't just like any other elephant you'd never say he was blind at all yeah what a story no he's an interesting one so the others would come and actually yeah sort of like run with him it's very very interesting the obvious question i mean so i've done loads of work uh, with vets as well and the obvious thing that comes to my mind every time what if this thing wakes up so you put an animal to sleep sometimes you fly around in a helicopter sometimes you go in a vehicle the animal goes to sleep you're guessing how much it weighs and how much you need to give it so i mean have you ever had an animal open its eye and look at you we have had yeah i mean a lot of the predators sometimes get what we call spontaneous arousal and they lift their head up and and jump up but uh we haven't spontaneous, <laughs> spontaneous arousal <laughs> out of nowhere <laughs> both the vets and the animals <laughs> okay. we did say this was pg oh, <laughs> so yeah no i mean we've definitely had it but it's it hardly ever happens i mean with the drugs we've got access to today um you know if they come around it's usually their heads lolling all over the show and they're not ready to just pretty much bite you i'm sure you've got loads of stories actually with your time in the sands with cats waking up and things like that. Yeah, not, the vets weren't as good as you, though. The drugs weren't as good. Okay, maybe the drugs weren't as good. Take that back to all the vets I worked with. But so, I mean, anyway, people can find you at the Conservation Vet. Yeah. Your, 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 your Instagram profile is fascinating. It really is. So, you know, we look at these pictures of you with lions in the helicopter, in the aeroplane. Um, with Marlon, my great friend, you, you did an Instagram interview. You talked about the lion in the tree. I don't like repeating stories, but it was incredible. Man. Yeah, the she did wake up. She did spontaneously arouse there in the tree. <laughs> so, so one, a lion shouldn't be in a tree, and two, I didn't know they spontaneously arouse. Over to you. Yeah, so, I mean, that was a good, fun one with actually Tristan Dix, a lot of people know as well. Yes, and yes. I'd, I'd taken him out. I was still in my community service here as a state vet this side of the world. Just We went across to check to supervise per se for for disease testing and the vet that was actually involved in the darting they came out of the boma after like 45 minutes and we're like we don't know why it's taking so long and uh, they said look we've got a problem the lions are in the tree and i was like well surely not and they said no all three are literally sleeping in the tree so and i told trist that morning i was like listen i'm going to be boring like they're going to dart i'm going to look at them and we're going to leave you know so you can come if you want but probably nothing's going to happen and thank god he was there because it was one of those, like, we got there, two, two um, lines had fallen out of the tree by that point, and then there was one about four or five meters up. And, uh, yeah, no one wanted to climb the tree. So, obviously, everyone's just there, like, looking at each other, like, who's going to go get the line, you know? It's like, oh, my shoes are too slippery. Oh, you know, this isn't going to, I've got to be on the ground for this. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, you know, I'll go in the tree then, and then I'll pass the line down to you. And, yeah, then she woke up in the tree a little bit, and then it got hairy, and then we injected it with some more, and then she almost fell out, and, yeah. Hence the name Thank Hunk. Yeah. <laughs> Hunk and Chunk. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's crazy. Nobody's got a story like that. <laughs> but they really don't. That, that kind of leads it to, to a different side of things, is you're doing that as, as your comm server. Mm. So you've, you've gone from 
studying all this stuff, then you do a little bit of exposure when you do your rotations and you come out to the amnesia and you do some wildlife stuff. Then you do a comservio, which throws everything from TB testing to cattle to, yeah. to wildlife. And now you're back into to the wildlife. What's the connection? Like, what has brought you back into the wildlife? Or was it, were you always going to be a wildlife vet? Have you seen other elements of it? I mean, Flip, I'd, I'd always wanted to be a wildlife vet from when I started studying. So it's more, I got very lucky to end up in this position. But definitely, I think one of the biggest aspects from our community service days, and especially this area where we're in the low felt and with the diseases in this area, and with something like the COVID-19 pandemic going around and the, the whole idea around One Health, I think that's been a great thing from the commissario to take that to the veterinary world. And I think that's something that's going to move forward a lot is the whole concept behind public, human, animal health and how it's all intertwined. And in your commissario, you sort of exposed to that quite a lot. And I think that sort of trickled down a lot into, into my current practice now. Whereas if we hadn't had that commissario as much, it would, and especially the fact that I was out this side of the world, it definitely wouldn't have had as big an effect. Yeah. Um, so that definitely, yeah, it's an interesting one, especially with the diseases. On a previous... So, so, sorry, so, so just it. to connect for people who are listening, so basically we're talking about the inside of the fence and the outside of the fence. Is that yeah. Right? yeah. And how human health, wildlife health, and natural health or the environmental health are all connected. Yeah. And I think that, like, yeah. we went back to a previous podcast of discussing inside and outside the fence, and, and disease doesn't know a fence. Yeah. Like, diseases move between the, the different animals quite easily. And I think that's a, 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 an important part to, for people to understand, that conservation can't happen in isolation. It has to work with, with the communities around. And it's quite cool that you've seen those different elements no, for and sure. can bring it back together. No, for sure. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a big thing. I mean, the, the idea of One Health's been around for decades. And mm. it's just it's sort of one of those things that's an underlying... I mean, when we did our, our elective as students out here, we do one at uh, one of the sort of communal areas bordering the, the western boundary of Kruger. And there we were supposed to meet with the doctor students and do a whole One Health concept. And then you talk about the diseases between humans and wildlife and all of that. But then you talk about things like anthrax and that, and the guys are like, no, surely not. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And like, no, but it, no, no, it does. really does. Yeah. Like, what are you guys talking about, you know? So it's trying to pull all of that together. And, I mean, you would have dealt with, you would have dealt with that hugely with the rabies stuff and the sabi sands. I mean, that would have been a massive aspect. Yeah. So, I mean, like, rabies being one of the, the major influences in, in the private reserves along the, the western boundary of Kruger, you have this idea of, well, it's, if, if there's rabid dogs coming in, we need to sort it out inside. But actually, it starts on the outside with, with the state veterinary departments and assisting the people outside to, to eradicate or at least bring the percentages down uh, outside for the, the rabid no, dogs. Sure. And that, that's where I, it's really interesting to see. Africa has got this sort of open system. South Africa has got fences and we, yeah. we often forget that is is we distinguish between inside the fence and outside mm. the fence with, with South Africa, but the rest of Africa is all no, one big system. Absolutely. Have you seen any anything in the rest of Africa that, that would clearly sort of say is so different to, to South Africa? Well pretty much exactly that. I mean that is just the, the way that people live in the intertwined with wildlife so much more than the hard boundaries that we have here. That's the biggest thing. You know, and they're trying to maintain the, and that's one of the biggest arguments between entities. I mean, when you go to something like the African Lion Working Group meeting, everyone in the East and the West and North Africa, they all frown upon the South and they say, what are you guys doing with fences and things like that? And they're trying to maintain natural systems. But those ecosystems are so different to what we have down here. And I think they, because of, as a simplistic sense, something like foot and mouth, we export a lot of beef. A lot of those countries are not. not so then they don't have to 
go through those rigorous disease control measures and that because they're not trying to do something like that so they're not surveilling because <laughs> i tell you what i think if they started looking they're going to find a whole lot of goodies you know everywhere and then it's panic yeah <laughs> interesting that's fascinating I, I, yeah that's fascinating i love that do you think that there's a, an opportunity in the rest of africa for for tourists to become involved in conservation efforts so it's so not just donating but like I know that you've done a few things where people can come and actually join you mm. on, on the experience. Do you think that there's something there that Africa has this wilderness, but it has a lot of people in conservation working in the background, and, and there's this opportunity that it's not just a game drive, you're actually contributing to conservation? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that whole, when we were in the Serengeti and Terengiri now in Tanzania, doing those Osikon units with Giraffe Conservation Foundation, that was with guests. It was okay. guests that came with, joined us on the entire operation, um, you know, they funded the entire operation, but they got to see exactly where every single cent went towards and the project sort of follow up as well. You know, so they get reports, they see all the tracking movement data and all of that and, and what's come of it. So definitely, I mean, we've looked at it at, as multiple options because the funding shortages in, in places like West Africa, especially. Mm. I mean, and that is like a little conservation dark horse at the moment. I mean, there's so much stuff coming up there in West Africa. And to get funding in the conventional sense just doesn't seem possible anymore. And especially after this pandemic. So to, to take people with you, even if it's one or two people that are just looking for a sense of adventure and something behind the scenes, 100%. I, I don't see why that hasn't been done for so long before, actually. I love it, man. That is interesting. No, and I think we need to look at that. Mm, definitely. Um, I want to bring in my friend Kat. <laughs> from Hope African Adventures, travel specialist, qualified safari guide, and quiz master. Cat, <laughs> love the title, <laughs> quiz master. Um, let's start it off. Well, Brett, I'm actually going to ask you a question to okay. bring you into the mix of things. So just to give a background about you, from Ali E from Joburg, what year did you start guiding? And then I'm also going to add in where and obviously add more context to, to that. So I started guiding 2004. That is now years ago uh, actually here in Hootspace I did my training in, in with eco training the same as you in 2004 in Karongwe um, and again like this podcast and we thinking about I'm actually thinking about talking calling it the stories from the center of the universe because that that this town is what brings us actually all together around this fire and um, so that's where my soul is my soul is in these reserves right here and that's what brought me back with my family so yeah that was 16 years ago um, and been everywhere in between in John Dixon's footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> um, following up on that question, yes. um, this is from Leslie V from Chicago. I know she was one of your guests. Um, what are the moments that have left you speechless? The day that her and her partner stepped off the Joe Cooper's truck day one in Uganda, 8 a.m. day one with a <laughs> bottle of red wine. <laughs> so I, was open. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be a good 16 days. <laughs> Did it end well, though? <laughs> yeah, it ended very well. <laughs> safari. And hi to them, actually. Fantastic. Yeah, 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 that's cool. Right. Um, <laughs> next question, which can all three of you can answer, and whoever wants to go first. Um, what would you say is your best memory in your career so far? Go for oh, it, Joel. No, Mike. Brett, definitely. Uh, that, that's a tough one. I mean, you know, you know, like I don't, I don't have a specific memory, but what I can say, and it sounds silly, but what I've learned uh, specifically in this last two months, three months, where 
haven't been doing what I've been doing every day for the last 16 years, I think I love seeing a leopard and the thrill of the chase of finding animals. It's what I live for, but I really, really, the, the, the memories and the moments that I miss are because literally are in the evenings at sundown. And mm. Alcohol or not, but, but I have these memories of sitting on top of rocks in Thule, uh, Lana Gorge in Makuleki, some random sunset spot in the Sabi sand, you know, just with people, ending off a day where you've spent the whole day either walking or driving around looking for animals and having a blast with good people. I think a lot of my memories, one, go back to the campfire and the stories that get told at the end of the day, but two, it's, yeah, sitting on a rock watching the sun go down um, rather than eight Pacific. But something I, I yearn for quite badly at the moment, and honestly, it makes us remember in our industry, what, what people who come and visit us are feeling all the time or the excitement they have before they come. So it's been really good for me in that respect to know what my friend leaving Johannesburg this morning is actually feeling in his heart as he moves towards the Kruger Park for the weekend at Juma this weekend or mm. whatever it might be. That's pretty inspirational. Why do we let him go first? Yeah. My my best moment was totally blown out of the water. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm gonna say like, oh, the time that I Brett met uh, I met Brett yeah. Hawley. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> was the time Mike drove us to the biggest party that the reserve has ever seen. Soccer World Cup 2010, baby. Exactly. The the Soccer World Cup finals. Like that the people that were there, there must have been what 150 people at that at least. And I think I stay in touch with 90% of those people <laughs> just because it brought us all together. Here we are. And here we are. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's the cool part. There were only 150 people in the area. <laughs> <laughs> so is that yours then? Are you cheating and taking the one that Brett gave you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Inspiration. No, that is very, uh, pretty much, I mean, and it's, it's cheating outright, but like when, when Brett talks about saying like that, it's exactly the same after an, an epic day's work, if something's gone really, really well, then it's literally to sit around the fire with the people that you've been working hard with. And you say no alcohol, maybe some alcohol, but always yeah. a beer, it has to be. Um, definitely. And I'd say for me, probably just um, getting offered this position. So just, just taking this position and knowing what it could mean going forward. I mean, it's always been my dream to work as a wildlife vet. So getting that, I think, was probably the best part of my career so far because it was the start of it. Another good question, if that's okay. Fire away. For all three of you. Sorry, I'm taking <laughs> it all. Not so, <laughs> this is a very good one. So, as a young guide or a young conservationist or a young potential vet student, what lesson has stuck with you that you would give an advice to somebody that's pursuing those careers? What would be one valuable piece, or maybe there's several nuggets of, I'm sure there's lots of good advice that you would give. But. Sure. Okay, so I'll, I'll try and answer that. <laughs> And I, I think... Oh, and I'm sorry. Let me just... Sorry, and that was a question actually from somebody. That was from Ad Shad Gelderman Photography. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, great guy. Guide at uh, Elephant Plains. Yeah, sorry. The question cool, was specifically cool about as a young guide, but I felt it relevant okay. to Ad. Yeah, so I think for me is not to get disheartened. So you start off at the bottom and you really have to work your way up. And it's going to be really crap sometimes. And you're going to be the oak throwing stones at a vulture to keep the uh, throwing stones at vultures <laughs> on a hippo carcass to keep the anthrax away while the vets take say, their, their sweet time. Conservation group, yes. Started, you, I'm glad you finished that. Throw stones at vultures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I've been exactly and you're going to be the guy that's fighting fires and the last idiot to leave 
uh, all hungry and dehydrated and stuff. And you're also going to be the guy that's riding in the helicopter next to the vet that's starting stuff. So, so go through those motions and just know that it will take you to a place. Um, and I think that's probably the one thing that I can say is it will always end up in a good place, but just keep at it. Mm. I, I want to jump in there quickly because no word of a lie. That's literally the, the line I was on, not the words I was on, but the line I was on is that, you know, where, where I've come from and where I am and, you know, the sweat, the blood, the disappointments, the, you know, the, the working in different places. We work very hard. Our job also is very glamorous when you're driving around in a polished Land Rover following a leopard. Uh, but, but it's hard. It's hard work. And you, you, ha you have a lot to sacrifice. And, and the mice words were very true. You know, in the end, it worked for you. You reap those rewards. Yeah, I no, absolutely second that. I mean, it's a little bit different in the, the veterinary field. It's not exact, but it's pretty much the same. And I'd say take take every opportunity you can to sort of em or embrace those opportunities if it's in a field that you want to work in. Everything. It doesn't matter how silly you think it is. If it's to go out with this vet to do something that seems, you know, a hopeless case. But, uh, you know, go out and get every single bit of experience and meet as many people as you can because it is a small world and uh, your opportunities stem from that pretty much. Love it. Uh, wait, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Joel, please. Please. Joel, did you have the joy of working with Prof. Uh, Rachel van Werven and Rudy Milton? I didn't, unfortunately, but my boss did, yeah. And he speaks very, very highly of them. Yeah, no, they were legend characters. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you had the, ch the chance of working with them. No, unfortunately JD, not. JD, give us a, I mean, a piece of advice for a young guy, 19, right now. Um, I, I, sh I literally agree with everything the, that the Joel and Mike have said. But now here's the thing, is, is that knuckle down, work hard, study hard, get on with it, put your, put your back into it, and learn. Gotcha. JD's going to be back. Uh, on another episode with more good stories and he's also going to sing us a closing uh, tune we only have a few minutes left um, so uh, I want to I ask you a, a question because I respect your opinion and I want a very short answer and this is the, the most uh, complex topic but how do we slow down the rhino poaching I mean if there's one thing I don't want to put ideas in your head but, but I mean how do, how do we slow down this demand for rhino horn and trying to keep these animals safe? Yeah, I, th I think it's a it's a tricky one and I, I don't think there's a right answer, unfortunately. And I'm one of those people, I don't like to have a strong opinion on something I'm not fully read up on. Okay. So something, for example, the legalizing the trade. I don't know enough about it really to comment on it. What I will say is things that I've been involved in that have been very effective thus far, and this is also, once again, just my personal involvement, is the dewarming operations that we've been involved in in the open systems in this area have thus far proven very effective. And that's continuing the high levels of security and not changing anything on that front, but just adding dehorning as a tool to the toolbox if it's logistically feasible, if the funding is, is available and you can do things like that, but it's definitely not a long-term solution. And that goes far beyond sort of my expertise in, in essence. You know, it's higher up in, in terms of, I mean, something like legalizing the, the horn trade, we don't even happy. know. You know, I think there's a lot of push against dehorning and there's been a switch. So, you know, I think your opinion on that is good. It, it really is. Uh, a parting thought or a parting story, man, or... Um, yeah, I was just, I mean, it's, I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, controversial conversations in essence. Yeah. And, uh, 
I think just in the in the world of conservation, there's so many people with polar opposite ideas. You know, everything's black and white, and it's and it's such a grey area field that we deal with. And I think if one thing, and we've got so much access to to so much knowledge and research at our fingertips, you know, so if we're talking about something like hunting, culling, those really controversial conversations, instead of being a complete anti-hunter or a complete pro-hunter, like try and find the middle ground, do a little bit of reading before you share your opinion when you open the comment section on a post and you want to put something down there. Take a second to actually, you know, Google a little bit, build yourself up a little bit of a knowledge base on the subject and then find somewhere in the middle because we just don't get anywhere with polar opposite ideas. You know, somewhere we've got to have a middle ground in the world of conservation, I think we'll get a lot more done. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to do with the podcast is bring all the different people together with, when you sit around the fire, you can actually have yeah. those discussions with nobody taking notes saying, oh, this is what you said, that's what no, you exactly. said. You kind of give your opinion and, and all of a sudden you start to come to a, a compromise or a, not a compromise, but a, a general understanding of what different people think. And, and that's, that's pretty cool. Like, Absolutely. Understanding somebody else's opinion, I agree. Mike, anything you want to... Uh, so just to, to say that the work that I've seen Joel do is um, not only inspirational because I think the work, the work that he does is flat out 100% and, and always has the right intentions, but I think what's even more important is, is the fact that, that Joel does take those different considerations into, well, uh, different ideas into consideration. And, and I'd almost want to say that as a passing thought or a ending moment is take the moment that you're in and think about what you could potentially make of that moment. And, and that's what Joel's done is he, he was doing sports science and all of a sudden, and like his passion was there and he took that moment and, and moved forward. It's what we've sort of discussed. And he has the opportunity to, to live a cool life, but it takes a lot of hard work. Exactly. Jeez, I love it. I'm going to close it there. Thank you so much for the time, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. John Dixon, are you going to close us out? <laughs> yeah, that would be lovely. Executive uh, producer is going to sing John and Mike, the whole team's got to uh, get involved in this little chorus. It's quite a, a well-known <laughs> and famous, well, just follow just my lead. <laughs> and it starts like this. It's a, it's a really sexy tune. <laughs> the conservation vet. Sexy tune from the days where men were men. I'll stop there. <laughs> Two old ladies in the bed. Two old ladies in the bed. One rolled over to the other and said. One rolled over to the other and said. I want to be a Marla Marla Ranger. I want to be a Marla Marla Ranger. Live a life of sex and danger. Live a life of sex and danger. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jolly. Thank you for joining us. You can find today's guests online via their social media handles linked in this podcast description. Go ahead and give them a follow, share some love, and show some support for what they are doing. We welcome your questions and comments and encourage you to let us know what you're thinking. Who do you want to meet around our campfire and what burning questions do you have for these bush legends? Find us on social media via the links in the description and tune in to watch our podcast recordings from around the campfire on our YouTube playlist.
They knock a glass over, they dance it on, it's awesome. <laughs>